super excited to have Dave come up here. Honestly, <laughs> everyone's excited. Um, Dave literally was uh, one of the first people I met when I came to this church, and he was in my small group. Uh, I love him so much. I respect him so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you guys could kind of just give him your undivided attention, that would be great. How you doing, guys? Thank you. You're cuter. <laughs> Seven, two, four? Four. <laughs> okay, never mind. So let me wait for my computer to turn on because apparently it turned off. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, it's just had to wake up. So how you guys doing today? Um, is that Ruben? Oh, my gosh. Hold on. I'm sorry. I love this guy. He's my number one. Sorry, Matt. Just kidding. No, no, but for real. Um, so uh, this is this is gonna completely derail my entire first point, which was actually uh, I have to thank uh, the one person in the audience who's been with me through thick and thin. He is my rock, my provider. He is my wife, my husband, my boyfriend. He is my rock, and his name is Matt Gula. <laughs> Well, yes, Jesus is, like, there, and then, like, Matt's, like, right under Jesus. <laughs> no, but that's uh, that's great. Everyone needs a Matt in their life because, honestly, I am not the man today that I, that I am uh, without him. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> no, but that's great. So, um, we've been doing this thing called story time, right, where we take books of the Old Testament or stories of the Old Testament, and we uh, relate them back to Jesus. So I was tasked with finding story, a story or stories in uh, the book of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So I decided to do First and Second Samuel, and then I re quick uh, quickly realized that there's a lot. And uh, so this is going to be like 90% uh, first Samuel and like ten percent Second Samuel and nothing from Second First and Second Kings. So uh, there we go. <laughs> and so basically, uh, the the story of First Samuel starts out with uh, a man named Saul. Um, actually, Samuel, and then who anoints Saul? But we'll get there. Anyway, so. Uh, Samuel, he is a uh, he's a man. He was uh, born to a woman who was barren, and so she named him Samuel because the Lord has provided. That's the meaning of Samuel. Okay, so Samuel is anointed as a prophet, a seer, if you will, and uh, he is given uh, the task of leading Israel. And Israel at this point has no king. They're not being led other than by God and his prophets. And so... Samuel is like, hey, guys, this is what we're doing. And Israel's like, we want a king. And uh, Saul's like, or Samuel's like, bruh, what? Come on. 
God literally anointed me to be your leader. And they're like, no, we want a king. All the other countries have kings. We want a king. And so God's like, I'm your king. Okay, fine. So he, he, he finds a man. His name is Saul. And Saul, he is a man of good, he is good stature. He is righteous. He is actually a man after God's heart. Um, and so Saul goes and says, or Saul is uh, anointed as king. So Samuel goes, anoints Saul as king. And Saul is like this great king. He's amazing. He wins all the victories. He gets in the favor of all of the people of Israel. And Israel's like, man, this is great. We were right all along. This is, we needed a king. And Saul starts saying like, man, yeah, like, here we go. And then the, but the, but the people of Israel start going and they're saying like, hey, we want this. We need this. We need this. And so they start going and they're conquering lands that they weren't supposed to conquer because God didn't tell them to conquer that. And so Saul starts putting this like weight on his own shoulders and he's like, okay, all right, I'm king. All right. And he's like, okay, well, we'll do this. And he starts putting the, putting the backpack on. He starts carrying Israel and God's like, dude, what are you doing? And, uh, (laughs) but for real, like this isn't where I want you to be. So Saul continues to fight the enemies of Israel and, uh, he find, but he finds, or he, he used to find favor in everything that he did, but he quickly lost that favor by from God when he started pursuing his own things. And he, there's actually a story where um, God tells him, "Go, destroy this entire people. They're the Amalekites. Okay, just destroy them all. Destroy everything. Leave nothing alive. No, no sheep. No man. No woman. No child. Destroy everything." And Saul goes, destroys everything, but he saves. The good, the good uh, oxen, the good sheep, and he takes them back. And Samuel, upon hearing this, confronts Saul, and he's like, "Dude, what, what are you doing?" And he's like, "No, look, see, we we brought the good things back to sacrifice. It's for God." And so Saul, Samuel's like, "No, you, the the spirit of the Lord is going to leave you, and he's going to depart, and there's going to be another king anointed." And Saul and Saul's like, dude, oh no. <laughs> and Samuel's like, yeah, you done messed up, eh, Ron? <laughs> and Saul's like, well, at least bless me in front of the people. And Saul's like, or Samuel's like, okay, sure, fine, why not? And then uh, God tells Samuel that uh, he's going to find a new king, a uh, king that is actually a man after God's own heart and is not going to falter. He's not going to fail. And so, uh, also just really random before we go move on, uh, after Samuel confronts Saul in this story, he, uh, he says, or Samuel says to Saul, he says, bring me the leader of the Amalekites. And they bring the leader of the Amalekites, whom they also didn't kill for some reason. And Samuel just hacks him to death. He just like slaughters him, chops him to bits, it says. So the Bible's really weird, guys, for real. Um, and then we come to David. So this is really the crux of, like, he's the main character for the next uh, book, book and a half, really. And uh, he's a young man. He's set, set, he, is, he is the man that is set after God's own heart. He's the youngest of many brothers. He's a shepherd. He can also play the lyre. So, like, he can play the guitar, guys. So, like, he's like Elliot, basically. He's good looking. Yeah, he's good looking. He's a shepherd. He, you know, he, he tends the flock. 
Um, and Samuel is told to find Jesse. Jesse is David's dad. So the, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he's told to find Jesse and Jesse brings him all of his sons. And Saul, or Samuel goes, nope, nope, nope. And he's like, is there any other son that you have? And Jesse's like, yeah, I got David. He's like 10 and he's like, Sending to the sheep right now. Like, do you want me to get him? And Sam was like, yes, bring him to me. So J uh, Jesse, is, or Jesse brings David to Samuel, and the, uh, and the Lord says to Samuel, actually, that in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that don't look at his appearance uh, for the height or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the whole idea of God choosing David was not that he was a great and mighty warrior, but that he was a man that was actually going to be faithful, and he's going to steward the things that God has given him well, and he's going to be faithful to God with what God has given to him. So David's chosen by God, and Saul was, or just as Saul was in the beginning, and through various circumstances, David gets into Saul's court. So um, backtracking a little bit, when the spirit of the Lord left Saul, a spirit, an evil spirit, afflicted Saul with, uh, it says he was just in anguish, all right? And uh, when David would play the lyre, Saul was comforted. His, his soul would be like, lifted up and the spirit, the evil spirit would leave him and he wouldn't be in anguish anymore. So David, he, the, the new king of Israel, unbeknownst to Saul, and at this point he is already anointed the next king of uh, Israel. Um, he's not walking in his calling yet. Um, or David is anointed king, not walking in his calling yet. And Saul has him just playing in the court. So David, David and uh, Saul get this great relationship. Saul's like, dude, you're my homeboy. Like, you're going to come with me. You're going you're gonna to carry my, ar my armor. You're my armor bearer. And uh, so then we go to the, st uh, the story of David and Goliath, right? So there comes a day, Philistines, these enemy, these enemy of Israel, they're coming up against Israel, and they're like, hey, uh, we want to destroy you. And... Israel's like, mm, no. And uh, there's a man, his name's Goliath, and he comes up. He's like, think of like Nick or, or Jake, but like twice that size. And like they can act like this guy, Goliath, would actually be able to pick one of them up just by their neck with, his, with one hand. Like that's how big Goliath is. And Goliath says to the, he's a Philistine, he says to the Israelites, he says, hey, if anyone can beat me, we'll be your servants and we'll, we'll serve you. But if I beat him, you serve us. And so uh, David is going and uh, he's, uh, he comes to the battlefield because he was uh, tasked with some things. Anyway, he gets there and he's, uh, he goes to Saul and he's like, what's the commotion about? Because he didn't, he just got there after some things were happening and and Saul's like, hey, this guy, like, you know, he wants to destroy us, and he's challenging us, but no one, no man is strong enough to defeat him. And so David's like, in uh, 1 Samuel uh, 17, 37, um, 
and actually to give this a little bit more context, David being a shepherd, he would uh, constantly go or consistently go through and protect his sheep, right? So if there was a bear or a lion that would come up and attack or take one of the sheep away, he would leave the sheep and he would go and fight the, this bear or lion like crazy. Like, no, okay, you can have it. Like, that's, that's, my, that's mine, but David's like, nope. I'm killing it. And he goes after and he kills and he like every time he goes after it, the Lord delivers into his hand the bear, the lion, the wolf, whatever. And uh, and so David says this to, to Saul. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, OK, I trust you like you haven't been wrong yet. And you seem to be a man of good stature. So, OK, so basically. David goes and he has seen what God has done in the past, and he's looking forward to what God is going to do in the future. He has faith that God is going to provide the way of escape, the way of victory over Goliath. So he goes out to battle, and uh, Goliath is mocking him like, who's this guy? David's probably no bigger than like me or Carson. Um, He might be a little closer to Matt, actually, but... You know, he's, he's strong, but, like, he's not, like, a warrior. He's, he's been a shepherd his whole life, you know? So, <laughs> so, basically, Goliath goes and he's just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, send someone who's worthy to fight me, right? And uh, David says this in response to Goliath in, se- in 1 Samuel 17, 45. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the, of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and with spear. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is David placing his whole trust that God is in charge of this entire thing. He looks outnumbered, and we sang this a couple weeks ago, that you know it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It's God is going around, and he is, he is winning our battles for us. So this is just kind of a sidetrack, like, David had faith that the battle that was too big for him to fight was not too big for God to fight. So David then takes a, takes a stone, he like swings it around a bit, and he launches it right into Goliath's head. Goliath then falls to the ground unconscious, and uh, David runs up, takes Goliath's sword, cuts his head off, basically haha got you guys now uh, and then they pl- and then the uh, Israelites plunder the Philistines so great so David has been established as now a mighty warrior uh, even though like he's just, he won one big battle okay cool so but no he's he's been established as a mighty warrior and when they when the armies of Israel come home the, the people are rejoicing, and they're, uh, and over time, after more battles happen and, and things happen, it, it is said of the nation that, or from the nation, that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And this kind of rubbed Saul the wrong way, like, hmm, this guy, he has, and the, the Lord is with him, 
and everything that he does prospers, and people speak better of him than me. And so, although he was, though, although Saul was still king, although he still had power, he still had the authority that God had given him, he was still an anointed king, and he was still given that, or he was still walking in that power. He grew jealous of David because David was, like, he saw the, the calling of David into the, his, his next role, and he's like, no, I'm the king, not you. And so he starts getting upset, and he starts whining and fussing, and Saul decides to, uh, to chase David and try to kill him, basically. So uh, for many years, I think it's about a decade or 15 years from the point that Saul starts trying to pursue David, he's, David's on the run, basically, uh, from his own king. And he goes to even his enemies. He acts like he's crazy. Um, but through all this, Saul trying to kill David, uh, the Lord protected David and provided him a way of escape. And in fact, multiple times, Saul was near to killing David. Um, and then David basically triumphed over him and, and then spared Saul's life, I think, on three different occasions. Because he says... Who can kill God's anointed and remain guiltless? And so although we know that, or although David knows that this man is going to try to kill me no matter how many chances he gets, he still showed him mercy because it was like, I'm not the one that's supposed to cast judgment on this man. So I'm just going to leave him be and God will work it all out. So finally, Saul dies and David is anointed king over Israel. He becomes Israel's king and uh, he leads his people to victory. Um, he comes home dancing. So like, uh, this is actually a really kind of funny story in the Bible. David comes home after many victories, and he's just dancing in the streets, kind of in a loincloth, kind of just like, um, yeah, he's like naked, basically. And uh, and his wife, like, he comes home to his wife, and she's like, excuse me? And actually she says, uh, how the king of Israel... Uh, honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, shamelessly uncovering himself. And he's like, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above his house to appoint me as prince over Israel the, and the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased a, a in your eyes. And uh, so basically, he's uh, he starts saying like, hey, listen, I, I have to dance. I have to celebrate because what the Lord has done in my life, he, none of his victories he attributes to his own strength ever. And that's why, that's why God wanted David to be king in the first place because he was like, this man is a man after my heart. He will not falter. He will remain steadfast, and he is going to pursue me and love me all the days of his life. And that's the kind of person that I want leading my people. And so everything that David has seen and done, he has to rejoice and uh, then we see later that the celebration didn't last long because quickly more enemies of Israel come and David sends out his armies. David's getting a little bit older, so he's like, you know what, I'm going to sit back. Usually in those days, kings would go out and they would like fight with their, with their armies, but David was like, mm, I'm going to sit this one out. So he goes and uh, he's uh, just chilling out on the rooftop one night and he sees a lovely lady on the rooftop, and he's like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> and being king, he's like, go bring that woman to me, and uh, the servants are like, oh, 
should we should we do this? And uh, they'd go and do it. And they bring him or bring her to him and they did the dirty. To be to be pretty to be pretty frank. Uh, she gets pregnant and that's like the the uh, the biggest like, well crap. Um you done messed up, Aaron. Um so David knows he's actually really good friends with her husband. Uh, and he's like, hey, bring Uriah home, and uh, we're going to give him m- much drink, He's gonna, and we're going to give him a feast, and we're going to say, hey, go, go lay with your wife. And then that way, if like, they sleep together, then it's like, hey, no harm, no foul, right? Like, he didn't know. No one, needs, no one else needs to know. We can cover this up. And he's like, no, I'm a man of stature. I, my men are out there fighting for our, our, our freedom, our protection, our, you know, like I'm not going to leave them while, and, and take, you know, a, a time for my own pleasure. Like if they fight, I fight. If they retire, I retire. And so he goes, he goes home and he sleeps and he does not sleep with his wife. And David's like, well, this is what I'm going to do. He, he writes a letter that he sends with Uriah to the general of, that, of the army, and he says, go out, and when you meet the enemies of Israel in battle, let Uriah lead the charge. When you engage in battle, everyone will retreat, and Uriah will stay to fight, and he will be slaughtered. So he basically commits murder, essentially, uh, through proxy, but that's beside the point. He commits murder to cover up another sin of adultery, and at this point, David has not fallen out of favor with God, but God's just like, dude, um, yeah, as a result, your son of this affair is going to die. Yeah, heavy stuff. But David, like any sane person, he, you know, he grieves as he would. And then he's like, you know what? I'm done. And then he washes himself and he starts worshiping the Lord because the Lord is just in all his judgments, right? And so if God has decreed that this would be so or allows this to happen or whatever, then he has to rejoice because regardless, he, like David was in the wrong. And so he's like, well, God is still in the right, and he is still faithful, and I'm going to worship him for his faithfulness to me. And so let's compare and contrast a, a little bit. We saw, we saw more of David's life than we did Saul's, but we saw enough of both of their reactions to get a little glimpse of who the, these men were, all right? David and Saul were both men that initially followed the call on their life, like they they walked in God's purpose and plan for their life. They listened, pursued what God called them and purposed them to do. But Saul took the burden on his own shoulders, and this is the this is the biggest thing. In in many times in the stories where where Saul is king, there's the time where uh, Samuel was supposed to provide a sacrifice. Samuel didn't show up, so Saul took it upon himself, which was 
not okay because you have to have a prophet perform the sacrifice. So he takes it upon himself to perform the sacrifice before they go into battle. Samuel shows up as he's performing the sacrifice and he's like, oh, dude. Uh, and Samuel's like, dude, well, come on, right? Um, and th this is more things of Saul taking on the weight and the brunt of what God was was planning for other people to bear. He was like, no, this is your role. This is your lane. Run your lane. Don't don't worry about it. I've got it covered. Samuel's going to be here. I'm still in charge. Like, I'm actually the king. You're just a proxy. Like, you're 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 just a you're just a placeholder for me to actually reign through you. And so David responds with uh, with jealousy, with with anger, with hatred. And he he puts the load on his shoulders and he takes it all of the all of the importance off of God and off of the people around him on his own shoulders. Whereas David, David responded to adversity with prayer, faith, and worship. He acknowledged that all he was given was given by God. He responded to the call of being a king to living as a servant. And that's what Saul was originally supposed to do. So how does this relate to Jesus? Jesus allows us, so if you see it, Saul was, uh, the spirit of the Lord was removed from Saul, okay? And in the past, before Jesus came, you were, we were condemned for the things that we were doing, okay? But on this side of the cross, we are given grace. We don't, if we are living a life of Saul, we can start to live a life of David. We are given grace to power, to overcome and power over uh, our sin, our struggles, and all the things that are coming against us, and we can choose to respond in faith, in worship, in prayer, and not being swayed by the, the cares of the world and, and understanding that God has really got this. And it was too late for Saul because, honestly, uh, the Spirit of the Lord left him, and that, that doesn't happen anymore. When God gives you his Holy Spirit now, He's given it to you, and I'm, I think I'm talking to a room mostly full of Christians right now, and if God has given you his Holy Spirit, you don't have anything to worry about, but you have so much more to live for by walking in his ways and to pursue his ways over your ways and to pursue his calling over your calling. When we live our life our own way, we mess it up, just like Saul. Saul could have lived a great life. He could have been an amazing king if he had just followed the commandments of the Lord. But he didn't because he was like, I got to do it. I got to do it instead of letting God do it. But when we follow God, we get to have a positive impact on the world around us. We're called not to be a, just a, a people that, you know, are prosperous or to, uh, to just be fun-loving people, but that we actually care and provide for those around us. And so... The, the calling of the church, bringing it now to this side of the cross, is that we're not all called to be kings. We're not all called to be, you know, leaders over thousands, tens of thousands, millions, or even hundreds. But we are all called to be leaders in our own places and in our own lives. And that the people around us need Jesus. And honestly, when people pray to God and then we show up in their life, on it, we're, we're going to be the answer to that prayer. We're ha we have to be ready to provide not just emotional support, because that's easy, you know, but 
What happens when we need to give them our time? What happens when we need to give them our energy, our resource? The, what if we have to sell our possessions? A lot of the early church was marked by people giving up their possessions so that other people could have a, have a thriving life. And thriving life doesn't look like having things. It, it looks like having a relationship with each other. And um, oh, hold on. My screen went too black, and I had some things. So can we be a people that live our lives for Jesus? Can, can we challenge ourselves to deny ourselves and to follow in God's calling to be people after God's own heart? And what does being a, per, a people after God's own heart look like? It means about loving and caring about people because Jesus loved the world. So if that's God's heart, then we should also love the world and that we should go into the world showing and being a light, being the salt of the earth. And uh, and honestly, I don't know if the church in America has been doing that, but I think we can be the change. And I don't know if about you, but I don't want to live my life for Dave Cup. I want to live my life for Jesus and to make him known because he's the only hope of the world. Um, not Elliot, not Matt, not Kim, not Brittany, not Nick, not Revelry Church. It's Jesus. And I just want us to be a people that, that, uh, that want to see the world changed uh, for, for good. So I'm going to uh, wrap us up, and we're going to go into small groups. But uh, I do want to give an opportunity for anyone who is here um, I'm not, uh, not a lot of what I've been saying has been very directed towards, uh, people who don't believe, but if you don't believe in this place, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel and to be part of this life that changes the world for good and not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others as well. And so if uh, we can all bow our heads and, uh, and, uh, and for a moment of privacy, um, if you want to make that decision for, to follow Jesus with all your heart and to be a vessel for his glory, to be a vessel for his kingdom, to bring life into people's situations that are um, that are just not ideal and that people are lost, people are broken, and you want to be part of the answer. Well, Jesus is the answer, and he's calling you to be part of that answer right now. So... On the count of three, you can raise your hand if you want to accept him. And um, what that looks like is that you just come into community with us and that we have only the best for you. We believe the best about you. Your past does not matter because Jesus has already paid for your past. He's paid for your present. He's paid for your future so that you could walk in newness of life. So one, God loves you so much. Two, this is the best decision you could ever make. And three, raise your hand right now if you... Uh, you want to take that step. And Father, thank you so much for the hearts of the people in here. And uh, God, I just pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, if, if we're not living life for you, then we're living it for nothing because we are not worth living for, but you are, God, because you're holy, you are true, and that you only have good things for those who love you. You love the world, and we want to love the world too, God. So please, would you give us hearts 
to love the people around us, to be Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus in this place and in this world, and that people would know you, the one true God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.